You're listening to The Sport Market. Here to rack the bulls and bears of sport business. Your host, Tom Mayonect. Out with the old, in with the new. Happy New Year to you on this New Year's weekend on the Sport Market on the Sportsnet Radio Network and the Sport Market Radio Network. It's a changing of the guard when it comes to our calendar year and obviously there's all kinds of positives to starting with a clean slate, but we'll spend our time this hour on the Sport Market reflecting in part on the year that was and what's coming up in 2024. We'll Also focus, of course, on the podium of our top three sport business stories of the week. We'll get to that in just a couple of moments, funded by Alpine Credits. We'll do our opening bell commentary on the NHL Winter Classic presented by Discover at T-Mobile Park in Seattle. And we'll also be joined by Rick Horro, the sport professor visiting sport business expert at Harvard University. We'll have him weigh in on the top sport business storylines of the week. We've also got our billion dollar club, some franchises worth 10 figures. We've got some hot stuff, our weekly merchandising and apparel report, and we'll endeavor to finish the hour strong with the sport market power rankings. And in our case, our power rankings reflect the a blend of the on the ice, on the court, on the field, on the pitch numbers with the business ops, the revenue generation, the franchise valuation, attendance, TV numbers, merchandising, and more. We'll get to that before the end of the hour. And uh, to close out with a lighter side take on the business of sport, we'll be joined by comedian Torben Rolfson for the Rolfson Report, The Comedy of Sport. Tino Farah in the producer's chair, Tom Manek, we're both happy to have you along for the ride on a year that I reflect back on as being dominated by the Shohei Otani story. I don't think there's a bigger story in the business of sport. You can argue the civil war in men's professional golf is right there, and it is. But when you think of the attention, the value the dollars and cents that have been generated by number 17 now of the Los Angeles Dodgers, it's absolutely in a class of its own. You've got the Dodgers having spent, including Otani, $1.1 billion in long-term free agency. 29 other MLB teams combined for just over $900 million. So the Dodgers are basically, this season having outspent every other team combined. That is a thing for Major League Baseball, and it's going to be so interesting to see how it rolls out over these next coming months and years. Let's check out our opening bell commentary. It's nothing new anymore. It's it's not as fresh as it was on January 1st, 2008, when the first NHL Winter Classic came to what is now Highmark Stadium in Buffalo, New York. Pittsburgh Penguins defeating the Buffalo Sabres in a shootout. In storybook fashion, the shootout goal scored by none other than Sid the Kid, Sid Crosby. That was more than 15 years ago. Now, it's still a big deal in the United States on the television side of things. It's certainly a big deal for the franchises that host it, those those markets that are deemed 
to host the NHL Winter Classic presented by Discover. And in this particular case, there's some real freshness and the NHL can sit back and point to this Winter Classic and say, hey, you see this? We've done expansion well. And I say that because this year's Discover NHL Winter Classic pits the hometown Seattle Kraken against the visiting Vegas Golden Knights, the last two expansion franchises in the NHL, and both of them extreme success stories, not just good stories or success stories, but extreme success stories. The Vegas Golden Knights came into the National Hockey League the 2017-2018 season. They made it all the way in their first season to the Stanley Cup final before losing to the Washington Capitals. This is now their seventh season. They've only missed the playoffs once. They have a Stanley Cup final and a Stanley Cup to boot. That was one last year in the 2022-2023 season. They've gone from $500 million in an expansion fee to a Forbes valuation of $1.13 billion. They've essentially doubled their value in seven years based on projected annual revenues of $233 million U.S. Merchandising, in their debut year, they dominated the National Hockey League and they did so until the arrival of, yep, the Seattle Kraken, who are no less a success story save for the fact, of course, they haven't won a Stanley Cup or made a Stanley Cup final, but they did make the playoffs in their second season. This is their third season. That $650 million expansion fee with Seattle is now, according to Forbes magazine, worth $1.23 billion, also doubling, in their case, in the space of four years. What you're watching on Monday in the Discover NHL Winter Classic is the NHL strutting its stuff with two of the most successful expansion franchises in NHL history, if not in North American professional sport history. That's how good they've come out of the gates. And give credit where credit's due. Gary Bettman has maybe done a few, a lot of things off in my books, including global marketing and the Olympic participation and that kind of stuff. But when it comes to this expansion, he can stand behind those two success stories. Here's our podium. Now, with the top three sports business stories of the week, here's the Sport Market Podium, funded by Alpine Credits. Own your home and need a loan? Homeowners get approved. Apply now at alpinecredits.ca. For background on the stories, go to thesportmarket.biz. In the bronze medal position, a number three sport business story of the week, the Pop-Tarts Bowl becomes a big thing and goes viral. Trying stuff like this, Trent Penix into the open field. Can they catch him? 10 5 touchdown, Wolfpack fake punt. So, the Pop Tarts Bowl, you've almost certainly heard of it. You might not know who played in it, <laughs> you might not know who won it. And the answer to those questions are Kansas State over North Carolina State in the Pop-Tarts Bowl. But this was marketing gone wild. And it was a big success story for Kelanova, the parent company of Pop-Tarts. And here's why. They spent probably $750,000 to a million dollars for the title sponsorship and their share of the promotional budget 
for this event that two years ago drove a total of $2 million in sponsorship. Well, in terms of media value in a 24-hour period anchored on the Pop-Tarts Bowl, they basically more than 10-timed their media, their, their, their value, their return on investment, because they achieved $12.1 million in media value. We'll get into all that with Rick Hoare, the sport professor, just around the corner. But that's our bronze medal story on the podium. And the silver medal position, it's the NFL on Christmas Day and the NBA on Christmas Day. Nickelodeon figuring in a big way here. Andy Reid, as part of the Nickelodeon fun and games, getting, hey, lifted from the sidelines by a claw. I just feel like he, he might be a little down. Maybe use a little pick-me-up. All right. Can we get him? Can we snag him here? We got our claw. Oh, come on. Wait, wait, oh, wait. Almost wait, there. Wait, almost wait, there. Wait. Almost there. It's wait. almost there. Hey, is that claw going to pick him up? I think we can get him. Oh, oh we got oh. him. We got him. We got him. Wait, when I said he needs a pick-me-up, I didn't mean this. <laughs> now, of course, uh, you know, theater of the mind. Imagine a claw coming down to pick up Andy Reid and take him up high into the sky and basically have some fun with it. That was the Nickelodeon version of the CBS presentation of the NFL on Christmas Day. The CBS version did 28.3 million average national audience. Nickelodeon did 893,000. But it's the intent that matters. Nickelodeon got a lot more exposure beyond that. It's the NFL and CBS and Nickelodeon trying to be a little bit fun, and especially on Christmas Day, making this about the whole family. We'll get into these generational television numbers on Christmas Day. Between 25 million and 29 million. Those triple headers drew an aggregate average national audience of 84 million Americans on that day, completely overshadowing the NBA on Christmas Day. Doesn't mean the NBA wasn't successful, but it's just not in the category of the juggernaut that is the shield, that is the NFL. But in our gold medal story, our number one sport business story of the week, it is a big tipping point for women's professional sport in both Canada and the United States. It's Monday's debut of the Professional Women's Hockey League. This whole journey for us has been pretty incredible, and I think uh, the, the long journey we've been on, uh, many didn't believe that we could be in a position like this today, and to be here and to be able to, to redevelop the stock exchange is truly an honor for all of us in the PWHL. The PWHL bell ringing at the New York Stock Exchange in celebration of this unified league coming together. And it is a big deal because fragmented as two leagues, it never was going to reach its capacity. Now you've got a unified league, six franchises, three in Canada, three in the United States. The three in Canada are Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto. And in the United States, it's Boston, New York, and Minnesota. 
Again, we'll get into all of this, but it's history in the making. That's why it's gold on the Sport Market Podium, funded by Alpine Credits. We'll break it all down next with the sports professor, Rick Horo, the visiting sport business expert from Harvard University, joins us here as we're rating and debating the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Sport Market, rating and debating the bulls and bears of sports business. Redirected it, and I don't know if Kate last touched it or not, but that's a big, big loss of possession in that situation. Sell the team, ringing from the crowd in Detroit, the Pistons, a record 28 consecutive losses. Up next, the Toronto Raptors on Saturday night. Some Raptors fans, after that respectable two-point defeat at the hands of the Boston Celtics, who are number one in the Eastern Conference, number one overall in the NBA, will they be the team that Detroit snaps its streak on? And of course, uh, uh, that's not what the Raptors or their fans want to see. You don't want to see a team losing this badly, but if you're a Toronto Raptors fan, you probably want to see it go to 29 straight losses. We've got Rick Horror, the sport professor, doing his calisthenics, his warm-up exercises. We'll first check out some franchises worth 10 figures. The Billion Dollar Club. And the spotlight on the Billion Dollar Club is not on the Detroit Pistons and their fans wanting the team to be sold, but it's on a team that has sold and has received NBA Board of Governors approval for getting that deal done. It's the Dallas Mavericks who have been owned by Mark Cuban since 2000. It's an almost quarter century of ownership. He purchased the team for $280 million. He gets an NBA championship and a big ROI. The Dallas Mavericks, in his transition to the new ownership uh, 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 group, Miriam Adelson and 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 family, the uh, Dupont uh, family, they're coming together to buy the Mavericks for three point five billion dollars. They get a pretty good deal because Forbes actually values them north of that at four point five billion. But Dal- but Mark Cuban maybe gets the best deal of all. He reverts to minority ownership, but he still controls what he loves, the basketball operations. Rick Horo is the sport professor. Rick, you've been studying the Dallas Mavericks and Mark Cuban for the last quarter century. A, are you surprised that he sold? And B, what do you think about the deal? Well, you know, he sold, but then again, he didn't sell. I mean, he's now still intimately involved in the Mavericks. And the deal is a capital uh, acquisition process for a casino operation or opportunity in downtown Dallas as part of a new arena. It may also be in Arlington, but the opportunity is for taking advantage of Texas gaming and casinos, and the Adelson family is the best in the business at it with the Sands Hotel and the Sands Casinos. And uh, he also maintains uh, management control. He obviously gives up much of his equity, but he cashed in pretty significantly. Let's not hold a bake sale for Mark Cuban. That's the reason. You know, I think it's 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 a safe to say that the smartest people know what they don't know. And I think that 
we can say about Mark Cuban. He has been very open over these past few days, these past few weeks, that he's not a real estate guy. He's not a casino guy, but that that was in the best interest of the franchise. And because he didn't specialize, he wanted to bring in Adelson and company uh, to give them that expertise. And I think it says a lot about Mark Cuban. Well, you know, he learned a lot, uh, not only from Shark Tank, but he learned a lot about deal-making. And remember, he made his money in the early days of broadband, and uh, that was his expertise. Now I think you could argue his expertise is the business of sports when you take a look at what he does. And then again, he makes the argument that, uh, you know, I, I know what I don't know, and even if I knew the operations of casinos, I don't have the capital to play in that game. So let me have a joint venture that also includes uh, real estate, casino operations, and I get to still uh, keep my hand in my beloved Mavericks. It's a win-win for everybody. We're talking to the sports professor, Rick Horror, the visiting sport business expert at Harvard University. Rick, our gold medal story on the podium funded by Alpine Credits this week is the launch of the Professional Women's Hockey League. It's a unified league. Three Canadian franchises, three American franchises. How important is this for women's hockey? How important is this for the continued growth and evolution of women's sports in general? Well, the concept is incredibly important. The success of this particular league is in many ways even more important. Uh, you know, the NHL uh, certainly doesn't feel like it competes with them. It's, it's going to help. And, and frankly, you know, Gary Bettman is a uh, is a uh, fan of expanding hockey in every way, youth hockey, uh, sun belt hockey, women's hockey, and the like. So this was, you could argue, long overdue. And, uh, you know, we still have a couple of years until the next round of the Winter Olympics, so it couldn't have come at a better time. Uh, we'll close out with the NFL versus the NBA on Christmas Day. But before we get there, your thoughts on the marketing genius that was the Pop-Tarts Bowl? Uh, I want to know if every part of that Pop-Tart uh, was edible. And uh, <laughs> it's not just the marketing genius of that bowl, but coming on the heels of the marketing genius of the Duke's, uh, Duke uh, uh, Mayo Bowl, uh, where, uh, you know, if I'm a head coach, and part of my contract is to be doused with real mayonnaise, uh, I may go sell insurance. I'm not sure I want to do that. But it is brilliant. When I was looking at the activation of the name bowls, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, all, all of these brand names that have now taken over, uh, not just the old traditional name, the key is quirky activation. And so not only was that fun, but more to come. You know, it's interesting, the return on investment for Pop-Tarts and, and for Kelanova, the parent company, uh, pretty significant stuff. You'd estimate that they probably paid about 750 a million in sponsorship, but they got $12.1 million in media value just in that 24-hour period alone. Yeah, and everybody's talking Pop-Tarts. It's not just media value, but it's the subjective awareness. I mean, I have been on a weight loss campaign, but I, I got to tell you, I, I ate a few of those Pop-Tarts uh, yesterday and I wouldn't have done it otherwise. So uh, uh, curse you, company, and curse you, Pop-Tarts. Uh, you know, if I got a choice between Pop-Tarts 
Pop-Tarts and mayonnaise. I'm definitely going Pop-Tarts all the way. Well, yeah, but listen, here's the deal. Apparently, based on what the Duke's Mayo people uh, required the ESPN poor uh, play-by-play and color guys to do, you can spread mayo on your Pop-Tarts and you have to eat it, and that's part of the deal. Well, part of the deal on Christmas Day is the NFL just showing how much of a juggernaut it is. It really is in a league of its own in terms of television. The aggregate from the NFL triple header between 25 and 29 million per game, an aggregate of 84 million Americans over the course of the triple header. That's CBS, uh, Fox, um, uh, ESPN on, 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 on ABC. You compare it to the uh, NBA, you're talking about the biggest NBA game being $5 million for the Lakers and, 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 and Boston, the total aggregate $14.4 million. But I argue, even though the NBA is now in the shadow of the NFL going forward on, on Christmas Day, it should retain that position, and there's nothing wrong with uh, five games uh, uh, averaging about uh, uh, $3 million average national audience on that day everybody's jumping to conclusions that this is a loss for the nba they just had to sustain the calendar will take care of the rest you know the nfl was given a calendar gift with a sunday christmas day uh everybody i know in my uh extended and immediate family after you open the presents and get the kids out of the way at noon what are you going to watch usually if christmas day is on a weekday uh, in America, anyway, you watched a second-rate bowl game that no longer exists, the Blue-Gray game or the Camellia Bowl in, in Montgomery, Alabama, and then you struggle to watch football, and basketball is obvious. Uh, let's remember, next year, Christmas Day falls on a Wednesday. There's no way the NBA, the NFL is going to require a team to play on a Wednesday, although, you know, never say never. But if they do, they're not going to require six of them. And so... What the NBA needed to do, which is get through this Sunday anomaly, and then the next set of Christmas days, they can continue to monopolize. Hey, Happy New Year. Best of 2024. Can't wait to start uh, uh, rating, debating the Bulls and Bears of sport business in the new year with you. Uh, Happy health, productivity. Thanks for everything you do for the sport market, Rick. Absolutely, and right back at you, and assuming the Dolphins beat the Ravens, which is a weird assumption, but let's assume it. They are three home wins away from the Super Bowl. Think about it. There we go. Well, there we go. We'll count them down with you. He is Rick Horrell, the sports professor, the visiting sport business expert at Harvard University. We're going to continue zeroing in on some of the biggest stories of the week and of the year with Ken Richardson, our collectibles guru from Pastime Sports and Games. We'll talk Connor Bedard next right here on the Sport Market on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You're listening to The Sport Market. Once again, here's your host, Tom Mayonect. Flacco almost gets sacked. There he goes. Throws on the run. Caught inside the 30, inside the 20. Goes Jerome Ford. Still on his feet. Ford looking for the end zone. Gets there. Al Michaels' call on Amazon Prime Thursday night football. Joe Flacco, another touchdown, another win for the Cleveland Browns. 
It's a remarkable story, not just for the franchise that has been on such hard times for a couple of decades now, their best season in basically approaching 30 years. But this is also an amazing individual story. A guy by the name of Joe Flacco, Super Bowl champion from his years with the Baltimore Ravens, turning 39 on January 16th. And he is on track to get the Browns into the playoffs and be playing in the playoffs as a 39-year-old. 19 is Connor Bedard of the Chicago Blackhawks. And he is the hottest story in collectibles. He's the hottest story in apparel. Hot stuff. What's hot in jerseys, merchandising, and licensing on the sport market. The home red jersey, number 98 of the Chicago Blackhawks, is the hottest jersey in the National Hockey League, followed by the road white jersey of the Chicago Blackhawks, number 98, Connor Bedard. The North Vancouver native has made quite the impact on the ice, but he's definitely making all the buzz that we expected off the ice. His cards, his trading cards, the Easter eggs that have been provided over the course of the last few months have been the most coveted. The most anticipated rookie card in uh, since, since 2015, Connor McDavid is going to come out with Upper Deck Series 2 in the new year. That is the hot stuff associated with Connor Bedard. And the Chicago Blackhawks also pointing to increased season ticket sales, increased group sales, increased sales overall, and all merchandise. Hoodies are achieving record numbers with Connor Bedard as a member of the Chicago Blackhawks. To break it down for us, we're joined by our collectibles guru, our trading card expert, Ken Richardson of Pastime Sports and Games. You can reach him at ken at pastimesports.ca. Connor Bedard, when you look back on 2023, Ken, is this achieving expectations in your eyes, what he's done so far on and off the ice, or is it a little bit more or is it a little bit less? I would definitely say it's more, uh, you know, everyone had, was anticipating his arrival to the NHL and uh, expectations were astonishingly, astonishingly high, but uh, to, to see that he's actually exceeding those expectations is something really special to see. Uh, I've asked you this before. How much of a difference does it make for him, both general apparel sales and specifically collectibles, that he's playing for an original six franchise uh, as compared to, let's say, the the Arizona Coyotes or the Nashville Predators or the Florida Panthers? I think it makes an absolutely huge difference because that – that brand, the Chicago Blackhawks brand is, you know, it's, they've got fans all over. It's marketed internationally. Whereas those smaller market teams, we really see it uh, a lot more regional than we see in the national stage. We're talking to Ken Richardson of pastime sports and games. Uh, Have you felt already the anticipation of the Upper Deck Series 2 where his first official rookie card uh, gets released? 
Yeah, we, we did put up a pre-sell on the product uh, a few months ago, and it sold out in a matter of days, and, and that was a pretty healthy number. Uh, and ever since, not a day goes by where we have uh, consumers asking if they can pre-order the product, but, you know, there's just, there's just not going to be enough to meet that demand. Ken, uh, this is our last show of the year 2023. When you look back at the year that was in the collectibles industry, in the hobby, is there a headline or two that stands out to you? Well, what really stands out to me is how strong the vintage market continues to be. Uh, We saw some corrections in, in different categories, but vintage collectibles certainly was not one of them The the numbers and the collectors out there it's stronger than ever if there was one thing that you'd love to see happen in 2024 can you share with us what that might be whether it's collectibles or sport business in general uh you know i like to see the continuing uh improvement in supply chain issues that we experienced uh through 2021 and 2022 it it would appear uh, all manufacturers uh right from trading cards to create trading card supplies and everything that people like to collect it's it's all really getting back on track now and uh i would imagine that will strengthen through 2024 well Here's to that happening on the logistics side, on the business side of things, and on the personal side. Uh, all the best for your best year yet, Ken. Really appreciate uh, uh, everything that you do, not only for the sport market, but obviously uh, co-hosting and co-producing Pastime Radio, the collectible show on the uh, Sportsnet Radio Network. We really appreciate that. I know it's a super busy weekend for you, but we'll look forward to uh, joining forces and co-hosting the show uh, this weekend. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. Happy New Year to Ken Richardson. Of course, he's our collectibles guru, our trading card expert at Pastime Sports and Games. On our podium of the top three sport business stories of the week, our podium funded by Alpine Credits, the gold medal story is the Professional Women's Hockey League. It makes its debut on Monday, January 1st. Now, it's up against the NHL Winter Classic presented by Discover, uh, which is a, a, a big media deal, especially south of the border. But I think they wind up getting some good cross-promotion done with their opening day that day. Six franchises, Montreal, Toronto, and Ottawa in Canada, New York, Boston, and Minnesota in the United States. I see this as being an absolute tipping point for women's hockey. They needed to get to this stage where one league was going to be the voice for the women's game as opposed to the fragmentation of two different leagues. Now, we can quibble, of course. I would have pushed for branding WNHL, Women's National Hockey League, following the NBA, WNBA model. I... I'm not crazy about PWHL, especially because there's been some equity built in the Provincial Women's Hockey League, Fran Ryder's project, Etobicoke Dolphins and Company, which has been in operation since 2004. But that's quibbling. The overriding story here is this is just a sign of more good stuff to come. 
And Rogers Sportsnet is part of the CBC package of coverage for this inaugural season of the PWHL. And having women's hockey so regularly on television is going to do so much for the game. It's going to do so much for uh, uh, active living girls, uh, those interested in hockey, or those being introduced to hockey because they're seeing it much more regular on television. I can't say enough how big it is that they've done this TV deal coming out of the gates. And in terms of each of the franchises, I think it's super cool that the Toronto franchise will be playing at the Madame Athletic Centre, which is the former Maple Leaf Gardens. So there's a chunk of real Canadiana and sport history there. And to that end, I love what they're doing on a number of fronts. Lori Boschman, you know, the first captain of the Ottawa Senators, being part of the uh, promotion going into Ottawa's debut in the PWHL. They've done a lot of things right. Certainly, they have to take uh, baby steps in some areas, but I think they've got a lot to build on. In Montreal, they're going to play at the Verdun Auditorium. Uh, In uh, Ottawa, it'll be at the arena at TD Place. And then south of the border, you've got NHL-style caliber arena and hosting at the home of the Minnesota Wild, the XL Energy Center is where the Minnesota franchise will play. Uh, the Sanga Center at UMass Lowell is where they will be playing the uh, uh, Boston franchise. So a lot of cool stuff. Of, cor- of course, uh, Total Mortgage Arena in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I do think the next step is expansion, but get these original six done well first. Next up, we're going to check out the Sport Market Power Rankings, our five hottest franchises in North American professional sport. We'll also check out the Rolfson Report, the comedy of sport with Torben Rolfson. That and a lot more still to come here as we'll continue to rate and debate the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sport Market on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You're listening to The Sport Market on Sportsnet 650. I talk to Nelson Scalvini all the time, right? He called me the 7 a.m. when we won the Stanley Cup and said, I'm going to buy the Vancouver Canucks. I'll give you 25% ownership of the team and $3 million a year. Now, the highest paid player in hockey was me at that time. was 800 grand Canadian. Oh, that's a nice raise. I know, and, said, I, no. and I, how dumb am I? Um, and I? And I was like, you know what, Mr. Scalvania, you know, I love you to death, but it's not going to work for me. <laughs> but no, how dumb am I? Wayne Gretzky on the Spitting Chicklets podcast with Paul Bissonette talking about Nelson Scalvania, offering him 25% ownership in the Vancouver Canucks in the early 1980s and taking him from an $800,000 salary to $3 million a year. Now, the salary Scalbania could have done back in those days, the 25% ownership, uh, that was a pipe dream. Uh, I just can't see that having been in compliance with the NHL's constitution to have an active player with minority interest and such a significant minority interest in a franchise. That's the first of two times where Wayne Gretzky became close to becoming a Vancouver Canuck. Uh, The other one, of course, in the mid-1990s, 
he wound up playing for the New York Rangers, but he was this far away from saying yes to a deal to join the Vancouver Canucks. It's time to check out the five hottest franchises in North American professional sport. The Sport Market Power Rankings, the hottest performing franchises in North American professional sports. Our power rankings combine the numbers, the wins and losses, the sport operations side of things with the business side, franchise value, revenues, television numbers, attendance, and merchandising sales. And on that front, we've got some honorable mentions to the Dallas Cowboys at 10 and 5. They're the richest franchise in the NFL at $9 billion, but that division is still very much up for grabs with the Philadelphia Eagles at 11 and 4. And in fact, at the top of the NFC, a lot of honorable mentions, the San Francisco 49ers and the Eagles and the Detroit Lions are all at 11 and 4. They've each had some challenges in recent weeks. The Eagles are at $5.8 billion franchise value, San Francisco 49ers at $6 billion right on the button, and the Detroit Lions, according to Forbes, are at $3.6 billion. They're still one of the smaller business units in the NFL. In the association, honorable mention to the Philadelphia 76ers, 21-9 on the court, 8-10 in their last 10. They are coming together in the Eastern Conference, their third overall in the East behind Boston and Milwaukee. Also, shout out an honorable mention to the Denver Nuggets, the defending Larry O'Brien trophy winners at 23-10. They're just a game and a half back in the Western Conference, 9-1 in their last 10. And some honorable mentions in the National Hockey League, the Edmonton Oilers. They've won three straight. They're valued at $1.5 billion. The Winnipeg Jets, which not enough people are talking about, are seventh overall on the ice. They've got 44 points this season. Also, the Minnesota Wilds shout out for winning four straight games. And the Vancouver Canucks, despite their second loss of the season to the Philadelphia Flyers, they're still right in the conversation. They've got the second best record overall in the National Hockey League. Vancouver is 7-1-2 and two in their last 10. The New York Rangers are at 49 points. They've got the best record overall. They're 6-4 in their last 10. They've won two straight, and their franchise value, according to Forbes, $2.65 billion. But none of them are in our Power 5. Number 5. It's the Los Angeles Clippers. Kawhi Leonard and company, 18-12 overall, 8-2 in their last 10. Forbes pegs them at $4.65 billion based on projected annual revenues of $425 million. Number four. It's the heritage brand that is the Boston Celtics, 24-6, 9-1 in their last 10. They're on quite a heater. Forbes values them at $4.7 billion. They're a heritage brand, and they're very much in the spotlight on Christmas Day as part of the NBA quintuple header, taking out the Los Angeles Lakers and doing so in front of a U.S. national average audience of more than 5 million NBA fans. Number three. It's the Miami Dolphins, $5.7 billion in enterprise value, according to Forbes magazine. That locks them in at ninth place overall in the NFL. They've won two straight. They're 11-4 and four overall, playing at a 733 clip, 463 points for 314 against. Number two. 
For the first time in the history of the sport market power rankings, the Cleveland Browns are in play. They take the number two spot this week. They're 11-5 and five after their Thursday night football victory against the New York Jets. What about Joe Flacco? He is the story of the week. The Browns have now, under his leadership, have won four straight games. Number one. Top spot goes to the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. They're 12 and 3. They've won five straight. Check it out. I think it's 20 and 1 that Jackson is against NFC teams in those interconference showdowns, which is an unbelievable number. The Ravens are the 17th richest franchise in the NFL with a Forbes valuation of 4.63 billion. Forbes estimates them driving revenues of 544 million a year. So it's the Baltimore Ravens number 1, the Cleveland Browns number 2, Miami Dolphins 3, the Boston Celtics 4 and the LA Clippers 5 on the Sport Market Power Rankings. Checking back on the podium funded by Alpine Credits, our top 3 sport business stories of the week. Of course, we're giving gold to the historic occasion that is Monday, January 1st, the debut of the Professional Women's Hockey League, a unified league, hallelujah, it will get to the next level. Now, the one thing that I'm hoping happens is that the National Hockey League gets more involved in the women's game. It doesn't have to be as involved as the NBA is in the WNBA, but certainly it needs to be and could be much more than it is now. And I would love to see NHL ownership groups winding up owning PWHL franchises. And as I mentioned, if you want to quibble, I would have gone with the WNHL branding, that acronym, instead of what they have done. That's our gold story. Silver is the NFL defeating the NBA on Christmas Day by a significant margin. Aggregate audience for the NFL triple header, 84 million Americans. Aggregate for the NBA quintuple header, 14.4 million. Having said that, there's absolutely nothing for the NBA to be ashamed of. They're not going to compete with the NFL. The NFL is completely in a class of its own. Those three games, the smallest audience was 25 million, average national audience. The largest, 29.2 million, with a peak of 37.63 million. That was the CBS and Nickelodeon games. That's not where the NBA is at. Having said that, the NBA is the best of the rest of the pack of major North American professional sport franchises. And uh, 5 million for the LA Lakers and the Boston Celtics, that is good by NBA standards. NBA should continue with the quintuple header on Christmas day and our bronze story pop tarts the pop tarts bowl taking a 750k million dollar investment and converting it into more than 12 million dollars in media value let's close out this hour with a lighter side take on the business of sport the sport market on sportsnet 650 presents the rolfson report the comedy of sport with torben rolfson Patrick Kane scored two goals in regulation, plus the shootout winner. Just a few hours after some Toronto media called him Clark Griswold. I guess he ruined the Flyers' Detroit vacation. Why are they playing tubular bells so much in the Swedish arenas at the WJC? Creepy. They should mix in some Omen and Jaws. 
Gothenburg. Is that where Goths come from? That would explain the macabre music in the arenas. I was shocked after Sweden beat Canada. I thought their national anthem was Dancing Queen. You know, there are three lower WJC divisions that hold tournaments too. You can see some wild matchups there. Japan versus Spain, Australia versus Turkey, Mexico versus Iceland. I'm not sure who holds the broadcasting rights. FedEx Ground? You've been listening to The Rolfson Report. The comedy of sport with Torben Rolfson. A special feature of the sport market. Listen again on the podcast and stay tuned Tuesdays at noon at facebook.com slash the sport market.